According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs. Where are we? Proverbs 16, 15. I have no notes this morning. All right, but my ribbon, I got this ribbon right here in the middle of my Bible, and it says Proverbs 15. And we're looking at verse 24, because we're going to talk about Sheol this morning. Take a moment, if you would, to check your noise devices. You have them in your pocket. They ring, they play songs. They do some other things. Yeah. I have a Scrabble app on my phone. All right. Take the moment to silent the phone. Proverbs 15, 24. Proverbs 15, 24. If I fall asleep in the middle of the class, don't wake me up. Just let it go. A man has, see, we've been dealing with verses 22 and 23 a week ago. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. And so we addressed that a week ago when we were looking at point 16 in the outline. Wisdom encourages consultation of counselors as a timely word is a marvelous blessing. And uh, we should appreciate that. And we should appreciate it when the advice is given, when it's given in love, when uh, it's a brother or a sister that wants the best, wants the Lord to be glorified. And uh, we may not take their advice, but we should thank, thank them for it. We should appreciate the fact that, uh, that they are ministering as unto the Lord. I think uh, the final passage there, uh, as we concluded in Acts 21, remember the Apostle Paul was uh, bound and determined to go to Jerusalem. And everyone was telling him no, uh, from uh, Agabus the prophet and uh, Philip's four prophetess uh, virgin daughters were saying, don't go, don't go, because when you get there, you're going to be bound. And Paul said, I'm ready to be bound. And so uh, there's, uh, there's times that we're not going to like the counsel we get. There's times that we're going to reject the counsel we get. And sometimes we should reject the counsel we get. If it's coming from unbelievers or it's coming from carnally-minded believers, uh, certainly the Word of God is not their focus. Then, uh, you know, sometimes you take it with a grain of salt, two grains of salt, a whole salt shaker, okay? Just as many grains as necessary when you realize that uh, they're not speaking to you from a place of divine viewpoint and a place of spirituality. And uh, there's aspects there. So we're going to move on this morning and tackle verse 24. And I want to get through it. If we can get through it in a single session, that would be great um, because I think there's other aspects uh, in 25 and following that, that go well together. But just verse 24 by itself here this morning, the path of life leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below. And so we have an upward path. We have an upward path that really is kind of a nice tandem with uh, our Philippian study, right? Where we're we're uh, setting our mind on the things above that we uh, are pursuing. Uh, we're reaching forward to lay hold of that. We have the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? We're pressing to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we're learning about these things in Philippians, about that upward call. And here we see 
that there is a path of life that leads upward for the wise. The word leads is not in the Hebrew, but I don't mind it. It's it's a good uh, provision um, that he may keep away from Sheol below. So we're going to talk about going upstairs or going downstairs. And uh, what's the... uh, why do we want to keep ourselves in an upward focus? Why do we want to not be looking at the things below, but keep our attention on the things above? All right? So before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to keep us awake to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your eternal nature. You are the everlasting, unchanging, eternal I am, Father. Uh, we thank you that we come to you in prayer, and uh, it's, never a, it's never a bad day, Father. You're never tired from the night before, <laughs> Father. You're, uh, you're just eternally awesome. And so we call upon that glory this morning. To, uh, to open the eyes of our understanding, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, thank you uh, for this message. I pray we will learn it, we would understand it, and be able to teach it to others. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're dealing with a path of life and uh, the issue here in Proverbs 15, 24. Um, and recognizing that it is an Old Testament passage, it's not a church age text. And in particular, it's kind of a, a nice contrast because you recall when we were talking in Philippians about the, uh, the upward call, when Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, we highlighted the fact that it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that our blessing as, as believer priests in the church age is unlike anything that any believers ever had before. <clears throat> so our position is in Christ. Our, our standing is in Christ. We're seated at the Father's right hand in Christ. We have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Israel never had that. The Gentiles never had that. The angels never had that. A, a positional calling in Christ. Now, having said that, we still identify the fact that Old Testament believers were focused upwards, that they were looking up, not looking down, that they were always fixing their eyes on Maybe not Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, but they were fixing their eyes on Yahweh, the, the Lord God of Israel. They were fixing their eyes on the creator God of the universe. They were fixing their eyes on God in heaven above to guide them, to lead them, to, uh, to, to uh, steer their nation, and to lead them uh, on an individual basis. And so we see it here. The path of life leads upward for the wise, that he may keep away from Sheol below. So stay away. And so this is kind of an interesting thing. We want to talk about this because I think there's some misconceptions here. Um, this is not a... Uh, because what is Sheol? And we'll start with that. We'll start with what is Sheol. This is point 17 in the chapter 15 outline. In Old Testament theology, Sheol is unavoidable. We're all going there. <laughs> all right? Everybody dies. And when you die, where are you going? You're going to Sheol according to Old Testament theology. And this is what we've got to understand. Why were things different then compared to now? That's going to be a big part of today's class. In Old Testament theology, Sheol is unavoidable. Psalm 89, 48, Ecclesiastes 9, 10, a bunch of other passages. I'm just going to go with those two. Believers walking the path of life steer clear of the sins 
that lead to premature departure from physical life. That's what this verse is talking about. We've got to be clear on what this verse is talking about. It doesn't say that if you live the good life, you're never going to die. Or if you live the good life, you're not going to go to Sheol. Everybody goes to Sheol. So how do you avoid it? How do you keep away from it? And that's the, that's the, the point, is that you're facing God, you've got your, your face towards God, you've got your back to Sheol, you're not, gonna, you're not pursuing the things that lead to that premature arrival. We're going to get there someday. I just don't want to get there too soon because of my own rebellion, my own carnality, my own reversionism. I could die the sin unto death. I could uh, commit suicide. I, could, I mean, there's any number of things I could do that would make an early departure from this life uh, part of God's uh, judgment. See? And that's what we talk about here. All right. Sheol is just a Hebrew word. It's kind of mysterious, too, by the way, because it doesn't really have a cognate in uh, other ancient Near Eastern languages. It doesn't really have an equivalent in uh, Akkadian or. or, or um, it, it's, it's kind of a, an enigma when it relates to uh, Ugaritic and other, other uh, ancient languages. But. Clearly, it is, it is the, the uh, Septuagint will often use Hades as the translation, the Greek Hades, which is just the realm of the dead, the realm of the departed. It's where you go when, when your body goes to the grave. And sometimes it's a synonym for the grave. It just means you're not, you're not on earth anymore. You've died. You physically died. And, uh, and so it's worth taking a look at there. All right, let's start with Psalm 89, and we'll see this. That Sheol is unavoidable, so how does the path of life uh, keep me out of Sheol? Psalm 89, 48. A masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. All right. Yeah, there's a lot here in Psalm 89. This is a, a doctrinally profound chapter, and it speaks to the angelic realm. It speaks to the human realm. It's got uh, aspects here that are in heaven to the heavenly host. It's got promises here to, um, like in verse 19, once you spoke in vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from among the people. And then he reaffirms the Davidic covenant here with respect to God's faithfulness. Um, anyway, don't get me lost in this. I love Psalm 89. You're down to verse... Um, 43, let's see. All right, how about verse 38? You have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. This sounds pretty bad. (laughs) Why would God do such a thing? When, When did this happen? All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. That, oh, this is dire. This is, this is hideous. And I thought he said he wouldn't do this. I thought that he was always going to uphold David, that David was the one that he promised and he will never forget his covenant, right? Uh, when you back up to, to verse 34, my covenant I will not violate nor will I alter the utterances of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Let me tell you, friends, that's an unconditional, eternal covenant. God cannot break it. His descendants or his seed shall endure forever, his throne as uh, the sun before me. So, I mean, 
can we just end this chapter with verse 37? I'd kind of like to do that. But then when you get to verse 38, we have a lament and we have a complaint and we have an accusation that, boy, from our perspective, it sure seems like God did exactly what He said He wouldn't do. It sure seems like it from our perspective because this is what we're going through in our human experience. You've also turned back the edge of his sword, all right, have not made him stand in battle. You've made his splendor to cease, cast his throne to the ground. That's verse 44. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. And so that's the lament from 38 to 45. And really, uh, there's a lot of uh, debate and back and forth. And what was uh, Ethan the Ezraite talking about? Was this an episode in the life of David personally? Was this an episode maybe when Absalom stole the, the throne and David had to flee for a season before he was restored? Was this later was this with respect to um, the, the captivity and the end of the Davidic line? Was this uh, when the Davidic throne was vacated and Jerusalem was destroyed? And it's, it's really um, not always or not clear what the context was for the, the writing on this. Uh, but thankfully the chapter doesn't end with verse 45 either, <laughs> okay? It keeps going and it asks the question we all want to know, when we're subjective and when we're under testing, how long is this going to take? <laughs> how long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is, for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sha'ol. And so God, it sure seems to me like this is this is it. And if you're gonna if you're gonna bring me through this time of testing, uh, it's gotta be quick because I'm not gonna live long enough otherwise. This is uh, uh, how long is this gonna take? Remember my what my span of life is. Do you know how 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 uh, mortal I am? And uh, this thing's about ready to kill me. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? What man is there that can pr produce his own eternal life? What man is there that can guarantee an eternal existence on this earth? Anyway, so where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in the bosom, in my bosom, the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, uh, which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. All right, so um, what a powerful hymn, okay, for tons of different studies, angelic studies, Davidic covenant studies, prophecy studies, and different things. No, when God vacated the Davidic throne, when he destroyed Jerusalem, when he took them off to 70 years of captivity, he was not uh, abrogating the, the Davidic covenant. It will be restored. It is future. It is guaranteed. And it will, it will happen when Jesus returns in the second advent. He will take his seat on that throne. Beyond all the other theology of chapter 89, though, is the statement that's made in, in 8948 that Sheol is unavoidable. None of it, no matter what we do, no matter. And today we've got all these vitamins and exercise programs and whatever, and we're trying to expand our lifespan and get whatever, a quality of life into our 80s and 90s and whatever, beyond, and who knows. Um, it's unavoidable. The rapture generation is the only generation that will not taste physical death. And that's one generation of all the generation of mankind from Adam to the end of time. Okay? It is unavoidable. They say death and taxes are the unavoidable 
things, right? Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, another scripture on this. Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, get to Song of Solomon, you've gone too far. And you know, um, kind of a depressing psalm, or a depressing chapter, kind of a depressing book, <laughs> okay, when it comes down to it. I have taken, uh, so nine one says, I've taken all this to my heart and explained it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are all in the hands of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred, anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so the sinner. As the swearer is, so the one who is afraid to swear. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterward, they go to the dead. Okay? Wow. <laughs> what a depressing life. I mean, why bother being godly if we're all headed to death anyway? Who cares? We'll have some fun while we're here. Whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead don't know anything, nor have they any longer um, a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Remember, this is the book of total human viewpoint. This is what happened when a believer abandons the Word of God, relies on his own wisdom, uh, starts living a life of, of uh, unrestrained carnality. This is the book of total human viewpoint, and the Holy Spirit inspired it. The Holy Spirit took Solomon's human viewpoint, put it in the sacred text for us to learn from. And that's uh, kind of an interesting, unique book of the Bible in that respect. So, Verse 7, go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for that is, this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, where you are going because we're all going there no one escapes it everybody goes to Sheol now okay true that is a true statement everybody goes to Sheol however there's more to the story and there's divine viewpoint to the story and that when we get there it seems on this side of things that the righteous and the unrighteous are treated alike, but it's definitely not the case on the other side of things. It's definitely not the case when you get there, all right? Because are the angels carrying you to Abraham's bosom or are the angels carrying you to torments? Uh, there's a gulf fixed in between those two compartments. And, you know, which side are you going to land on? So there's a big difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. But as far as the human viewpoint of the Old Testament, none of that's, none of that's in the picture here, okay? By the way, the very next verse in verse 11 I saw, uh, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to the men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. And uh, Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn from this very verse. Um, 
about not to the uh, swift, not to the uh, strong. And, and it's kind of an interesting adaptation of kind of a gloomy human viewpoint attitude. Uh, and yet she found a way to put it to divine viewpoint and, and, uh, and make a hymn out of it. All right. Well, Sheol is unavoidable. Yes, I'll grant you that. But that doesn't mean that we're all treated the same. And it doesn't mean that there's no point in being righteous and that you might as well be wicked or might as well have fun while you're here. Okay? We're not, life is not a Nike commercial where they had that motto years ago that said, life is short, play hard. Okay? Uh, we, there are consequences, eternal consequences for how we live down here. And if we don't steer clear of those sins, if we're not on the straight and narrow, if we're not pursuing the path of life, we're going to get to shale sooner than otherwise, right? We're going to get, to, we're going to accelerate our path to get to the grave. And uh, there is such a thing as an early grave. We want to be clear on that. So um, as we see in Proverbs fifteen twenty four, it's not an eternal avoiding, but it is away from putting as much distance as we can between us and that. Um, and this is uh, consistent with uh, what we've seen repeatedly, actually. Do you remember uh, back in Proverbs chapter 3, we touched on this? Proverbs 3.2 and Proverbs 3.16. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So how do we add days? How do we add years? Because it's both length of days and years of life. And so there is a quality of life and there is a duration of life and there is the kind of life that a believer has when he's living in the Word of God. Jesus talked about it and called it the abundant life. I have come that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly. And as you're living in the Word of God and the Word of God is richly dwelling within you, you have that length of days and length of, uh, of uh, years of life and peace they add to you. And that's the benefit, okay? Huge benefit. Verse 16 of the same chapter um, with respect to wisdom. Verse 13 says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver. Her gain is better than fine gold. Remember, chachma is a feminine noun and often referenced as a woman in the book of Proverbs. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. So if you're living in the Word of God, does that mean you never die? No, it's not saying that. But it means you have that quality of life while you're here, and then, of course, you have the glory awaiting you in the resurrection when, after you get to Sheol. All right, chapter 4 and verse 10. Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. The years of your life will be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in an upright path. So... There you have it. Live your life according to biblical norms and standards, and it's shocking. Oh, it shouldn't be shocking. Yeah, but this is the reason why. When my family signed up with, uh, with Samaritan Ministries and that, if you do a Christian medical sharing program, they're, they're not an insurance company. They're not a health insurance company. They're not like you know when we lost Aetna. We used to have Aetna, and then Obamacare killed that. So we lost our insurance company. 
Uh, so now we have a, a, a Christian medical sharing thing. Well, they're not an insurance company and they don't cover everybody and they don't cover everything. And they specifically say, if you're following a non-biblical practice, we're not covering those medical bills thing. We're not paying for your, your drug addiction. We're not paying for your venereal disease. We're not paying for your, you know, they don't call it that anymore. They, we don't, we're not paying for these lifestyle consequences pertaining to your carnality because we are a Christian organization supporting the biblical norms and standards. And so it's, uh, to me, that's exactly what Proverbs is saying here with respect to length of days and years in that uh, when you're following the biblical prescription for how you conduct your life, you're avoiding those other things that, that uh, carry the, the physical consequences that they do. All right, so uh, 4.10, we looked at that, 9.11. Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. So we have abundant days and then added years. And we'll talk about this, because see, there's an there's a understanding of this that's not contradictory, but complementary to other passages of Scripture. If you say, well, wait a minute, I have X number of days, the divine decrees, it was foreordained, and sovereignty says, here it is, and who of you by being anxious can add even a single cubit to your lifespan? Well, by being anxious you can't, but by living the Word of God you can. By living the Word of God in humility you can. By honoring your father and mother you can. The first commandment of the promise says, honor your father and mother that you may live long, and there's the promise there. We'll discuss this. I've got some points that will address this. So, yes, there is X number of days in God's sovereign divine decrees, but there's also Y number of days and Z number of days that are factored into God's divine decrees as well. Contingent days, and we'll talk about those. So, um, that's 9-11. 10-27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be shortened. They will be shortened. And, and even without the sin unto death, there's still a shortening that can happen in a, a diminishment of, of God's mercy, and you, and you lose the, the quality of life in, uh, in that. And uh, again, part of God's divine discipline. And then 1427. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. So no one you know, avoids physical death. It's an eventuality for all of us. But there are snares to the premature death that you cannot step into and, uh, and, uh, and bless the Lord in that capacity. All right. And so we have the aspect there. Now, subpoints A and B with respect to this. Our days on this earth in physical life are numbered. Our days are numbered, and that's a fact. And that's a great comfort. Job 14, 5, Psalm 139, 16. These are verses I used when um, I shipped out to, to Desert Storm when uh, we went to war in 1990. And, uh, and uh, you know, you're engaged to be married and there's a, a young lady there you'd like to survive the war and come back and get married to. And, and, uh, but what do you do? You say, Lord, we're in your hands and my days are numbered and, and God is sovereign. And, uh, and you know, I'm in no more danger on the battlefield in Kuwait than I am uh, in the you know public library in Austin or Austin Bible Church or whatever. When, when, uh, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go, 
And, uh, and you could be in the safest place in the world and it's your time to go, God's going to take you home. Um, and if it's not your time to go, you can be in the most dangerous place on planet earth. You can be in the lion's den or the fiery furnace or wherever you want to be. And it's not your time to go. God says, no, I've got, you got more work to do. Here you are. And so these, these verses are, are marvelously, um, they're, they're comforting, they're encouraging. Uh, they can be a tremendous source of uh, blessing. Job 14, 5. <clears throat> you know, a passage like this, if, uh, you know, Job 14, 5. Verse 1 says, man who is born of woman. Okay, so... That's kind of all of us, isn't it, right? <laughs> Raise your hand if your mom was a woman. All right. Man, well, these days you don't wonder. Well, that's, we live in a chaotic culture and generation. But All right. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. And that's just the brevity of this life. You also open your eyes on him and... Bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. And there you go. And so we have our maximum. There is a limit when he sets the number of our days. And, and uh, you know, Colonel Theme used to say X number of days, and, and I like that expression. There is X number of days, but there's also Y number of days and Z number of days as we see. Because God will grant extensions. God will grant extensions if you honor your father and mother. He grants extensions if you're living according to Proverbs wisdom. He grants extensions. He also shortens under discipline and under judgment. And that's not because God's wishy-washy, he can't make up his mind. He has a fixed plan and then he has contingent plans that he's allowed for in his foreknowledge, in his wisdom, and in his grace. We want to be clear on that as well. So uh, the maximum number of days... Um, the limit that cannot be passed, no matter how you honor your father, no matter how great you live, no matter how obedient you are, you're, you reach that maximum line where he's pushed the X to the Z and now you're coming home. That's the issue there. But I find it comforting. I find the divine decrees and the plan of God a tremendous comfort. I love his sovereignty. I love knowing that I'm in his plan. And, uh, and uh, to me, that's a, that's a great encouragement. And for parents that have lost a child, I think this too, you have to just cling to God's wisdom in that. And I don't know if you saw La Rosa and uh, a little girl born uh, on the one day on the 20, 20th and then died the next day, 25 hours later. Just had one, one day, uh, the birthday and the death day were one day apart. You know, and so you, you, you grieve and you, and you trust, you walk by faith and you trust the Lord and you think this was, uh, you know, this was the purpose. And uh, they, that little girl had one day of life. <laughs> and that's the, that's the plan of God. And that's equipping parents and family and friends and others to, to deal with those things. So anyway, verses like this I find, I find helpful. Psalm 139, likewise. Well, let me see. There's more on this. I think the rhetorical questions are excellent because Job leaves them unanswered. But you and I can answer them, right? We can answer them from the New Testament. We can answer them from from our perspective as church age believers, like in verse 4, who can make the clean out of the unclean? Job says no one. What do we say? God does all the time. He washed me white as snow. 
He took my sin and applied it to Jesus. He took Jesus' righteousness, applied it to me. Wow. You talk about making the clean out of the unclean. And then, uh, and then uh, as far as physical death uh, and uh, the fact that we all face it, and then what happened? Um, like when a tree dries up or when other things die. In verse 10, man dies and lies prostrate, man expires, where is he? Where does he go? As water evaporates from the sea, as a river becomes parched and dries up, no man lies down and does not rise. Where does he go? Well, he's going to rise. He's going to rise. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If man dies, will he live again? We can answer that, can't we? So could Job. In all, all the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. What a change. I'm looking forward to that. Because I'm going to cast off the body of mortality and put on a body of immortality. It's, put on a, it's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the work of your hands. For now you number my steps. You do not observe my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you wrap up my iniquity. So, tremendous chapter. The doctrine of, of, in Job is, is amazing and being as early as it is. All right, Psalm 139 then. Psalm 139 and verse 16. It's a great chapter for omniscience. It's a great chapter for omnipresence. God knows everything. He's everywhere. He cannot hide from God. He uh, even knows my thinking. He knows what I'm thinking about before I do it. And, uh, and all this. Anyway, verse 13 says, You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God makes no mistakes. I wasn't born in the wrong body. Okay? God makes no mistakes. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And where did Adam come from? Wasn't he made from the dust? Where do we come from? <laughs> you know, when God created the heavens and the earth, what was included in that earth he created? Us. And that spot of dirt and that spot of dust, and he molded Adam and all of us are genetically from that plot of dirt. How powerful. It boggles my mind. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So the days that were ordained for me, the X number of days, the Y number of days, and the Z number of days. The days that are ordained, the days that are extended in His mercy, and the days that are cut short also in His mercy. Sometimes the sin and the death is to salvage something for the judgment seat of Christ. That uh, when Paul says, I delivered them over uh, to Satan so that their spirit may be saved in the, in the day of judgment. So when there was not yet one of them, Thankfully, though, that's in his book. Thankfully, that's in the heavenly record. Thankfully, that's not printed on our birth certificate so that you and I don't know, <laughs> right? That Stephen Wright joke about his birth certificate that came with an expiration date. We don't, ha we don't know. We don't know the day, and that's, that's God's grace. We act as if it's today. We're living one day at a time. We don't know, because if we knew, if somehow we had some kind of a uh, prophetic insight or some kind of a clue that uh, you know, physical death was 65 years from now or whatever, 
you know, what kind of slugs will we become in the meantime? Thinking, I got time, you know, we'll get to that later. Let's have some fun now, okay? No, we got to live daily. Today's the day. Our days on this earth and physical life are numbered. Yes, they are numbered. But that number clearly has contingency factors for lengthening or shortening the primary number. Clearly, that number clearly has contingency factors for lengthening or shortening the primary number. Now, this is not, uh, this is, this is a, a valid theological issue. We see it again and again throughout the scriptures that God has a, a plan, but then he also has contingencies for what if this, what if that, what if this other thing. God has the plan that encompasses, well, what if uh, these miracles had been done in Sodom? Well, Sodom would have repented. Sodom would have continued and, and been to this very day. You know, what if this? Well, then this. What if this? Well, then this. And God's got all of that charted out in His plan. What if this person obeys and honors their father and mother? Well, then there's an extension to that number of days. Okay? And, and I don't have any issue with that. And, and um, you know, well, does, doesn't God have foreknowledge of all that? Of course He does. So doesn't God know what He's going to extend it to? Of course He does. Or doesn't God know what He's going to shorten it to? Of course He does. And some people say, well, then why doesn't God just make that the X number and forget about everything else? That's not how His plan works. <laughs> okay? His plan has the X number, the Y number, the Z number, and the full spectrum of every contingency. Every contingency. We want to be clear on that. Believers, all right, and I think that's evident. Did I have another one? Uh, I was going to take you to Exodus 20. Well, maybe not. All right, we'll just stick with that. But you know the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother and the promise that comes with that, the extension of life. There's other passages that speak to that as well, including ones in Proverbs that we've been looking at. All right, what's this thing about Sheol? Believers and unbelievers alike, prior to the cross, descended to Sheol, but the Lord made clear that they are sorted into one of two compartments. So Jesus does not agree with uh, Ecclesiastes that we all go to the same place. Okay? Yes, we all die, but we don't all go to the same place. Because when the body goes into the grave, where does our soul spirit go? Our soul spirit goes to either Abraham's bosom the place of paradise, the place of comfort, or it goes to torments. So Luke 16, which uh, amazes me every time I read it, I learn something more. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man, he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Okay, <laughs> how stark is that? Okay, We expect Lazarus was also buried, and the rich man was also carried away. The, the fact is these things are phrased poetically in a manner very similar to to Proverbs poetry. And so, but that's the difference. Whereas they're both buried, the bodies are buried, but what happens to the soul spirit? Well, they get carried away. And in Lazarus's case, 
carried away to a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom. In Lazarus's case, carried away to Hades. Okay? And remember, Hades is the term that's commonly referenced as Sheol in the Septuagint. So uh, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So Hades is a huge place. And at this distance, across this gulf, we're going to see the gulf that's fixed in this chasm in verse 26. But across that chasm, he can see Abraham, and they're able to speak. They're able to communicate. And we know this isn't the lake of fire, and this isn't the eternal destiny, because that's a place of utter darkness. And in the utter darkness, you can't see anything. He wouldn't even be able to see Abraham. There's still grace in Hades, in the sense that there's grace to see, there's grace to cry out, there's grace to communicate. And... uh, This is what's happening here. So he lifted up being in torment. And he's got eyes. He lifted up his eyes. That's significant to me because the physical eyes and the physical cadaver got buried. But what what are these eyes? Okay, What is the form that the soul spirit takes when it's disembodied? Your disembodied soul takes a a, a shape with eyes, with, with hands, with fingers, with tongue takes a, a, a body-like shape even though the body is in the grave. So, Father Abraham, how did you know that was Abraham? <laughs> right? Father Abraham, I mean seriously, I've never met Abraham. If I, if I walked into a room and Abraham was sitting there, I wouldn't know who it was. How would I know that was Abraham? saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. I've got nothing better to do. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. So Abraham has a bosom, Lazarus has a finger. Dives, well, the Latin Vulgate calls him Dives. This, this text doesn't give him a name, but the rich man has a tongue. He's in agony. There's flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things. How does Abraham know that? (laughs) You know? How does he know that? Was he spying on? How does he know that? Abraham doesn't know him. He doesn't know Abraham. There's a sense when we are beyond mortality, when when we're in eternity, There's a sense that our soul reflects whether it's healthy, whether it's weak, whether it's strong, whether it's damaged, whether, I mean, all these things. The soul is laid bare. All things are open and laid bare before the eyes of the one with whom we have to do. And Abraham, just at a glance, sees the state of this man's soul. And it's obvious to him that in your life you had your good things, and and Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here, and you are over there in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, there's this great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you, and maybe Lazarus would, maybe he wouldn't, but he does say those who would wish, some believers would actually do so. Paul said he would do so, that he would sacrifice himself and be accursed if he could save his kinsmen, the Jewish people. Those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none 
may cross over from there to us. There's no second chances. There's no preaching in hell for a second chance, you know, probation for somebody to get saved after they physically die. So then he said, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them that they will not also come to this place of torment. If you don't avoid hell in life, you're not going to avoid it. There's no way out. You've got to accept the gospel while you're physically alive. That's it. That's the only chance you've got. One life. Eternal consequences. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Biblical information is sufficient. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. No, not true. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. If the gospel message from the Bible doesn't persuade that atheist, he's going to be impressed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Really? Okay. Interesting. So this is our picture. Um, Yes, they both go to Sheol, but there are two compartments. There's the compartment of Abraham's bosom. Sometimes it's called paradise. The place of comfort. There's the place of torments. And they can see each other across that gap. Now, this arrangement was necessary until the justifier was demonstrated as just. It's not the case today. When a loved one dies today, when that little baby girl died on Monday night, um, when that little baby girl died, she didn't go to Abraham's bosom. She didn't descend to Sheol, right? Today, in the church age, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Paradise isn't in Sheol anymore. Paradise is now in the third heaven. Paradise itself got moved. Because Paul said he got caught up to the third heaven. He got caught up to paradise. But when Jesus was on the cross, he told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. So paradise itself has moved. And then this arrangement was necessary until the justifier was demonstrated as just. And this is tremendous doctrine in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. So why is it? Why, how come we get to go to heaven when we die and Abraham had to go to that bosom place? <laughs> right? How come we get to go to heaven when we die? Wasn't Abraham a good guy? Yeah. He believed in God and was reckoned him as righteousness. And when he died, they buried him in the cave of Machpelah, but then his soul, soul spirit, went to Sheol and went to that compartment and then got named after him. <laughs> okay? Abraham's here now. This is his place. The father of the faithful. All right. Why couldn't he go to heaven? He was saved, but that's the thing. That's right. His sins were covered. His sins were not removed. And that's the difference. That's in Old Testament soteriology, New Testament soteriology. Until, the, until Calvary, he's saved, he's forgiven, but sin is not removed until the Lamb of God removes the sin of the world. And so he passes over, the whole doctrine of Passover. He passes over the sin. He does not inflict wrath. He does not inflict judgment. He passes over because he's looking forward to the cross. And so Romans 3, this doctrine is spelled out. I want you to see this. I want you to be able to explain this. The righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, manifested, scriptural testimony. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now what about the ones before? What about believers in the Old Testament before Christ died on the cross? Notice now. Whom God displayed publicly. That's why He spent three days in the grave. and That's why He was risen and led in triumphal procession. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. In the forbearance of God. But now this is a display to show that He was just to do so. In the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. So now why can't God just do that all the time? Why can't God just wink at sin and excuse sin and have forbearance and just bring everybody to heaven? Why, does he do, why, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? See, He had to. And forbearance can, can last for a time. Forbearance can, can be just only so long as God ultimately has a solution. Because if He just forbears and forbears and forbears and forbears and never deals with sin ever, well, that's not right. That's not just. Okay? And then I think Satan and the fallen angels would have a claim. Say, why are you excusing their sin and judging us? So he, he passes over, but it's because he has the ultimate resolution. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so he has to make this a public demonstration of his justice. He has to prove conclusively that he is just. And he can't prove that he is just until he pours out his wrath and condemns his son. When he pours out his wrath and condemns his son, he is proven to be just. There's no favoritism. There's no partiality. There is an absolute standard and there is eternal judgment. There is infinite wrath. And infinite wrath was applied to Jesus Christ. God is just. And in that demonstration, Old Testament believers were validated that God was just when He passed over their sins. That God was not unjust to excuse their sins or to wink at it or to let it go because He knew He was looking to that cross. And now it's on full display. It's on display Men can see it. Angels can see it. We can look back and, te- and testify to it every time we take communion. This is the, uh, the crux event of all existence from Alpha to Omega. It's called the, uh, culmination of the, the consummation of the ages when He was made to put away sin for all time. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not just the Lamb of God that covers the sin. So this arrangement was necessary. Although Jesus subjected Himself to the penalty of death, He could not be subjected to the power of death. He accepted every facet of wrath the Father poured forth, but He Himself was sinless. He was made to be sin, but He committed no sin. Although Jesus subjected Himself to the penalty of death, He could not be subjected to the power of death. Psalm 16 is not about David, it's about Jesus. And Acts makes that clear, and it's really not debatable. 
Psalm 16.10. You will not uh, abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now David wrote it, but he wasn't writing about himself. David uh, did undergo decay. We're told in Acts 13, we still have his grave with us to this day. David's dead and he's still dead. But Jesus rose from the dead. That's just speaking about the resurrection of our Savior. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there is pleasure forever. Acts 2.24 Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And here we have it. And uh, he's going to quote Psalm 16. As David says of him, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Again, proof that Hades is Sheol, from the Greek to the Hebrew. Romans 6, 9. So if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The body goes in the grave, the soul goes to be with the Lord. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Christ. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Once and for all. Our hymn of the month for September is going to be once and for all. Once and for all, brother believe it. Once and for all, sinner receive it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ has redeemed us once for all. So he arose in victory and led captivity captive. didn't bring my notes up here, so I'm not sure where we're going with this. Okay, that's it. He arose in victory and led captivity captive. Psalm 68, 18, quoted in Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10. And he now sits at the right hand of power, the right hand of the majesty on high. The blessing we have to have a Savior seated in session. You know what, I'm going to save this for next week. I don't want to just race through it in four minutes. Because this is us. We're seated at the right hand of majesty on high. We're in Christ. He entered within the veil. He entered as a forerunner. We're there too. He's at the Father's right hand. We're at the Father's right hand. We are a stewardship. The church age as a heavenly people, we are unlike anything this world's ever seen. 
and it is such a uh, it is a privilege and it is a it is a um, it's a glorious thing and we got to see why in psalm 68 he's receiving gifts why is it in ephesians 4 that he's giving gifts almost seems like he's misquoting himself no he's deliberately changing the context for the quotation and that's to our advantage because we're the ones that get the gifts we're the ones that are spiritually gifted in the church age as evangelists and pastor teachers and all the other permanent spiritual gifts there. So we'll look at that in Ephesians 4. Then to be seated in the right hand of power. You realize um, when you think about the daily struggle, when you realize the sin struggles and the temptations and the depressions and the discouragements and everything we go through, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. David didn't have that. Noah didn't have that. Daniel didn't have that. No Old Testament saint had that. They didn't have the victorious risen Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. They didn't have the Comforter having been sent. We have every advantage they never had because we are the ones in Christ after the victory. They're the ones anticipating the coming of the Messiah. It's a huge difference. And I hope just chew on that between now and next week and then we'll look at these verses and then we'll try to stress that. We have the Advocate, Jesus Christ, the Righteous, proven righteous, demonstrated righteous, the just and the justifier. That is so huge. And, and Jesus tried to give them that encouragement. They were all moping and boohooing about the betrayal and the cross and all that sort of stuff. And in the upper room he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. To your advantage. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. The Helper doesn't come. And uh, you know they wanted to keep him around forever. Are you kidding? No. Greater works than these will you do. <laughs> greater works than Jesus did? I get to do something greater than Jesus? Church age. Because you know who else didn't have an advocate before the Father? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? Jesus didn't have Jesus Christ the righteous sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus walked this earth, he had a three and a half year ministry without an advocate at the Father's right hand. We've got the advocate at the Father's right hand. All right. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the voice to get through the hour. Thank you for, um, well, just thank you for everything. The conflict, the, the late hours, the sleepless nights. I pray for those in the hospital, Father. Be, uh, be merciful. Give the doctors wisdom to see what you've seen since forever. You, you decreed this in eternity past. You, you know why the, the white blood cell counts are what they are. And uh, the doctors are trying to figure it out. They're trying to get caught up to uh, what you've known about all this time. So that's in your hands. We also pray for La Rosa and his family and uh, the loss of this child. Uh, equip them, bring them through the time. Father, when David and Bathsheba lost their child, it was a ministry opportunity. David had to minister and comfort Bathsheba. And, uh, and then you blessed him with Solomon, Father. So um, provide for them and provide abundantly. We thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.